Welcome back to Husker Sports Weekly, episode number 33 today, and we have got some Nebraska basketball, some breaking news that happened today. We're recording this on March 1st, uh, which is a Monday. Happy March, everybody. It's the greatest time of the year if you're a college basketball fan, so we'll dive into that. And later on in the episode from the Omaha World Herald, Evan Bland will come on the show to talk new broadcasting rights within the University of Nebraska. He will talk the uh, walk-on program for Nebraska football and the piece he wrote for um, the Omaha World Herald, which you should go check out. We'll talk to him about that in a little bit. And we will preview baseball with Evan as well. So be on the lookout uh, later in the episode for that one. Great interview with him. So be sure to stay tuned the entire time. But before we get into anything, you should know who you're listening to. My name's Connor Clark, along with Grant Hanson. As always, you can find our episodes on Spotify and Anchor.fm. Just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar. Or you can go to CornhuskerMedia.com and find us on our Twitter at CornhuskerMedia to find our episodes as well. So without further ado, breaking news in the men's basketball program today. Teddy Allen has elected to leave the team after a conversation with Coach Fred Hoiberg on Sunday, February 28th. He says he wants to get healthy to pursue the next steps of his basketball career, meaning his pro career, wherever that may be. But Teddy Allen leaving the team with just about, say, three games left in the season. So an interesting move that had Husker Nation on shock this morning. Yeah, uh, it's it's unfortunate. And... I feel bad for Teddy in a lot of ways. Uh, likely, you know, this is going to be him moving on to uh, a future declare declaration for the NBA draft or maybe overseas, who knows. I, I would imagine the team wouldn't take him after his fourth transfer, but uh, I suppose we'll have to see. It's just unfortunate, and he's clearly, I think, someone who uh, in a lot of ways has had a really, really tough life. And it is, you know, he's, it's produced a very tough basketball player, uh, to say the least. But, you know, it's just, it's, a, it's really unfortunate. I feel really bad for him in so many ways. And, you know, clearly he need, he's still just kind of lost, I think, in some ways. Uh, and, and again, you know, maybe, maybe it was a really great, it, you know, it wasn't. There, maybe there was something. There's clearly something moving behind those scenes that we don't, that we can't see, and we probably never will know. Uh, but and maybe it wasn't that bad of a thing, and maybe, but maybe it was. I, and it's so I feel bad even speculating, you know, and saying some of the things that that I've said. But it, it's just, it's just, it's it's sad. It's kind of unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I think Husker Nation in a lot of ways should be ready for this. Uh, because, and as I've said it once, I've said it a bajillion times, you, you build your program on transfers, and they're, peop- they're a bunch of guys who have left their previous schools. Don't be surprised when they also leave you. And it, here we are again. It, it's just, you just got to be ready for it at this point. Don't, don't be surprised if people don't stick around too long, especially when you're not winning. Well, yeah, you live by the transfer and you die by the transfer in college basketball. And just taking a look at the Nebraska schedule, they have three games, I guess, including tonight's game against Rutgers. They go to number five, Iowa, on March 4th, and they finish up the regular season against Northwestern on March 7th. And then probably one game in the Big Ten tournament. So there's four games left in the season. But yeah, Teddy Allen, obviously a, a good player for this team, a 16.5 point per game score, which obviously leads the team by 6.5 points. Trey McGowan's is the next best with just over 10. But that's going to be a big loss for Nebraska. Obviously, this Saturday only played 10 minutes against Minnesota with zero points. So as you said, Grant, clearly something probably moving behind the scenes that we will probably never know or we don't know for the time being. But after he dropped 41 points last week against Penn State, and then he goes for just 10 points in the following game and then zero on Saturday as the playing time continues to get smaller. And now here we are, Teddy Allen no longer a part of the Nebraska basketball program. Interesting stuff there. And, uh, I mean, as as you said, I don't think a team would also take him with his fourth transfer. Um, he's probably better off declaring for the NBA draft. We'll probably see that here in the next couple of months or so. 
um, or maybe even the next couple of weeks. I could personally see him playing it overseas and being a pretty solid player overseas. I think that's where his future is heading. But we'll wish Teddy Allen nothing but the best going forward. Obviously right. helped this program out tremendously this year was the reason why we won a couple of games this year as well. Yeah, and that's I mean that's about all you can do. You know, he was really I, I thought very I think I think at the beginning of the year he was pretty happy to be here. I mean he certainly seemed that way at the preseason press conferences. Very happy with the coaching staff. You know, I don't I don't think the coaching staff like failed to pour into him enough and or to care about him enough. Um, so I don't I don't think that was the issue. And so it just kind of is what it is. And we won't probably ever know exactly the details, but here we are, and, and now Nebraska's got to find a way to win without him. They did it, really. They really just basically did that against Minnesota on Saturday, and arguably only about four games to go here. But uh, it, it's unfortunate, and it just, but just kind of is what it is. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily think he was ever unhappy right with with being on the Nebraska basketball team with Fred Hoiberg as well I mean even just last week you could see him when he wasn't in the game I mean he was being very enthusiastic towards his teammates cheering him on trying to coach him up on the sideline and given everything he had on the floor obviously having a 41 point performance against Penn State so doing everything he could on the court to try and get a win but I mean Teddy he he was as advertised after averaging 31 points in JUCO and then coming here averaging around 17 the entire season and he he played at West Virginia before that and was a pretty good player as a freshman there but as you said I I don't think he was ever unhappy being here but I think this is just what he kind of feels like is necessary if he wants to keep playing basketball for the rest of his life and make that his his profession because sometimes you have to make those those tough decisions and who knows? Maybe this one is the best one for him. We just don't know. Obviously, we don't know what's going on there. So um, sometimes you have to do what you have to do, and sometimes it's a it's a hard decision to make. Right. Yeah, and it's just it's time to move on for Nebraska. And it, I wouldn't be surprised if he isn't. You know, there's probably going to be more people who will probably leave, and they might be bigger names. Um, they might be guys you haven't heard of that are on that that 15 man roster. But we're just going to find out and. Again, like I said, I think it, it's it'll be good for Husker basketball fans uh, to to just to be aware of that, and uh, and and I think and just be prepared to do that in the future. So, well, a more positive topic uh, of Nebraska basketball. They won. They won another Big Ten game on Saturday, February twenty seventh against Minnesota, seventy eight seventy four, despite. A Marcus Carr 41-point performance. So we've seen two 41-point performances in Nebraska games, and both of those performances have been on the losing end of um, – okay. <laughs> and they, they've both been on the losing end of of those games, which is pretty funny. Um, but Nebraska was able to get it done. They won 78-74. Minnesota, I feel terrible, but at the same time I don't. They have basically played themselves out of the tournament, losing to Northwestern and Nebraska, the bottom two teams in the league in back-to-back games. So a horrendous week for Patino and the Gophers up there. You thought Ohio State was having a bad week. I think Minnesota's having a much worse week oh after my gosh. those two losses. Definitely. So. Well, and we'll get into more of the bracketology stuff after uh, we've spoken with Evan. But, yeah, Minnesota at this point has put themselves on the first team out. That was updated as of the 26th. This is now March first. I would. They are probably after losing to Nebraska, dropped from the first four out in the bracketology for ESPN, probably to beyond the next four out. I mean, they've oh, totally definitely. played themselves out at this I point. I mean, they're thirteen and twelve. They're, I believe, even in the Big Ten. Right. So that that record is not, especially with those two losses. And, and um, it's a big win, I, I think, for Nebraska. Props to Thor. You know, props to Thor for coming out on top uh, and going out that way. Of course, Derek Walker also technically a senior, and 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 Webster uh, Walker certainly seems like he'll be back. Webster will have that option. Thor technically has that option as well. Uh, I doubt he'll take up on it because he's seemingly been here forever. But <laughs> uh, he's seen a lot here. But uh, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. They'll have that choice up for themselves. But if it is their last game here for their or their last senior night here, they they did a good job of going out on top and doing what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I mean they 
they played for each other. They put together a pretty good game plan. They were able to make their free throws, which uh, is something that this team has struggled with all season long, but they Definitely. were able to get it done. But we'll transition here to our interview with Evan Bland. He'll join the show. Once again, we'll talk baseball. We'll talk about his piece of the football walk-on program here in Nebraska and the new rights here at the University of Nebraska when it comes to broadcasting. Now joining us on Husker Sports Weekly is Evan Bland from the Omaha World Herald. We're going to talk some football walk-on program with Evan as well as some new media rights changes within the Nebraska community and the university. And we will preview the 2021 baseball season as that is just around the corner for the Huskers and the rest of the Big Ten next week. And it's already starting to feel like spring outside, which is awesome. So, um, thanks for joining us, Evan. How are you doing today? Hey, guys. Doing well. Sun's out. Snow's melting. No complaints here. So, Evan, one of the big things breaking today is Nebraska certainly heavily considering shifting its media rights internally. Uh, for those who don't know, what exactly does this mean? Does it, does it, is there any shift, uh, for, for the regular listener? You're still, are you still going to be able to tune in to, you know, Greg Sharp every, every morning or, or what, what kind of changes does this mean for both the listener and what does the university get out of this potential change? Yeah, it's an interesting piece of news because I think for the casual fan, there's probably not a lot that changes. You're still going to have a Husker broadcast Greg Sharp's still the voice of the Huskers like that, that experience doesn't change much, but kind of in a, in an inside baseball kind of behind the scenes sort of situation. It is a big deal for Nebraska because they've uh, contracted with Learfield IMG since 2006. And the model that they've had uh, with Nebraska has been one of uh, a guaranteed sum of money that they uh, would pay Nebraska for uh, the rights to broadcast their, their events, their intellectual property, things like that. And so what this uh, essentially means now is that Nebraska is going to take all of the, or at least most of the services that Learfield IMG provided and bring those in house. And so most notably, they're gonna be beefing up their own staff with uh, advertising folks, with uh, kind of behind the scenes producers and folks that are gonna help uh, build out their own in-house operation when it comes to uh, again, advertising, broadcasts, uh, signage, digital media, uh, all kinds of different things. And so part of this has come about uh, because of the pandemic and, and, and how, you know, money in collegiate sports has become a little bit more uncertain. And so uh, my read into the situation is Nebraska feels like its brand, because of all these circumstances, is a little bit undervalued. They feel like they can uh, provide these services to themselves through their own hires and that that it will be more financially uh, viable and, and beneficial for them to figure it out on their own. So they have a lot of work ahead of them in terms of hiring staff, building out their infrastructure. Uh, but ultimately, it, it is an unusual move in college uh, sports. It, it looks like not a lot of schools have gone this route. Most, most athletic departments do farm this out to different uh, multimedia companies. So Nebraska feels like uh, it can handle it on its own. And in, in some ways, it's going to be uh, kind of in a, in a unique situation, handling it all itself instead of working with a partner. How do you, does this connect in any way with uh, the, some of the nil stuff uh, with name, image, and likeness? If Nebraska brings it in-house, can it produce uh, more stuff for for its athletes and then put that out? through their control of the media rights? Does that change anything or is, is that not a part of the considerations? Well, I mean, it's, it's a whole new frontier, right? Like this is, this is stuff that hasn't been done before. Uh, the name image likeness bill is still uh, pending. So we don't know when that's going to go into effect for sure. Uh, you know, theoretically you could make the argument that yeah, if Nebraska builds out its infrastructure has its own equipment has its own producers that they would be more equipped to help uh, come alongside athletes that do want to expand their nil brand 
So that's a possibility. I don't, I don't know if that's what they're thinking at all or if that's uh, ultimately going to be the reality, but you could kind of potentially see that sort of thing. Uh, I think it's uh, more related just to the financial aspect. Again, you think about how many athletic departments have lost tens of millions of dollars in the because of the pandemic. Uh, they're, they're trying to find every dollar they can and, and their deal with IM, uh, Learfield IMG has been pretty beneficial for them. When they renegotiated in 2014, they, they uh, increased total payments to 72 million over that last six years. That, that contract expires, it's June, the end of June. Uh, and so that was uh, a deal that was very lucrative for Nebraska. It doesn't seem like uh, that sort of money is on the table this time around. So again, for this athletic department that's trying to uh, recoup some lost money because of this last year, uh, it seems pretty clear they feel like they can do that on their own, hiring their own staff. And Evan, moving on to more of, of the football side now, we we know that you wrote a, a piece on the, the Nebraska walk-on tradition, and obviously it's a very rich tradition um, here in Nebraska. Lots of good players, lots of great players have come out of that walk-on tradition. So why don't you kind of dive into that piece that you wrote about the, the program and just kind of take us through uh, what your story was about this Nebraska walk-on program. Sure. Well, I, and, and I hope people don't miss the point of the story, which uh, is is less about the walk-ons themselves and more about the vote of confidence that their dads, also former Huskers, have in the future of the program. Because I think it's one thing to, uh, you know, be a former player and just say, hey, I, I believe in Nebraska. I believe in Coach Scott Frost. It's quite another than to back that up by sending your son to that program and entrusting your son to those coaches in that place for three, four, five years, whatever it ends up being. And so certainly uh, some of those players that, that end up there um, will be good, as Scott Frost would say, culture keepers. They they love Nebraska. They love the Huskers. They understand the, tradi- the traditions. Um, you know, but statistically, you kind of could see that maybe maybe one of those guys is going to make an on-field difference ultimately in the program. It's, it's going to be the behind-the-scenes stuff that's more valuable. But to me, the, the interesting part of the story then was just talking to the dads. And uh, in this particular 2021 class, there are five uh, legacy walk-ons uh, whose dads played in the 90s. Now, some of those uh, fathers played with Scott Frost in the, the mid to late 90s, 96, 97, uh, not all of them, but some of them did. And uh, so I wanted to see, you know, one, how these these kids arrived at their decision to come to Nebraska, but then more importantly, what decision or, or what uh, influence did their fathers have in making that a reality? And for some of those former players, it was a big deal. It was a, it was a conscious decision that said, yes, I, I am doing this because I believe in the future of this program. And at this point in Scott Frost's tenure, I mean, that's a little bit of a, a leap of faith because Nebraska under his leadership is 12 and 20. They have not yet been to a bowl game. And so you have to, you know, see where this is going uh, without seeing the results on the field, so to speak. And I think the other part that was enlightening to me was that a lot of these guys said, hey, when I went on uh, recruiting visits with my son, when I maybe went to a couple practices as a former player, everything that I heard and saw was the same sort of stuff that was the foundation for the success of the nineties. So um, whether that, that was just, um, you know, what they say to walk-ons in terms of what to expect and nothing's given to you to just some of the ways culturally that Nebraska operates, the the players said, look, it's, it's very similar. Um, Kids, it recruits in the nineties. Not everybody got it. And some guys left, not everybody bought in. That's the case today. So uh, I think it was helpful for fans maybe to see that when they have a, their own conversation and, and the wins aren't coming, um, I think it was helpful to hear from some former players who did experience Nebraska at its best, kind of vouch for the state of the program, put some optimism in there and just say, look, the, the, the bones to this thing, the foundation uh, is solid. And they, they're sending their sons, they're, 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 they're literally putting their, their sons where, the, where their mouth is, so to speak. And uh entrusting the future to, to the Huskers. You know, without giving away too much of the piece, because it, it's a really great piece, uh, what would you say is the biggest reason that those fathers and their sons have that faith in Scott Frost? 
Well, some, like I said, some of them knew him personally, and so they understand, uh, you know, how intelligent he is, how driven he is, how much he loves this place uh, at Nebraska, understands the traditions and everything that go into it. And, you know, I think it's like anything else. If the, the more invested you are in whatever you do, uh, the more you're going to put into it, the more you're going to try to find a way to make it work. And clearly, Scott Frost, as a former national championship winning quarterback at that school from the state of Nebraska, who's been connected to the program, even as he's risen through yeah. the coaching ranks throughout the country, uh, he cares about Nebraska. And, it, and that's obvious. And I think that's uh, ultimately what some of the, the former players have seen. Um, they understand that uh, their kids probably won't all start. And in fact, if they do, that probably is not a good sign for where the program is going. But what they will get uh, and, and what they do appreciate about Scott Frost is his um, frankness about where his kids stand, about where the program stands. He's not going to beat around the bush. They saw that as a player. They've seen that as acquaintances and former teammates, and they believe they're going to see that as a coach. So uh, I think that's that's something most parents would want is, look, just be honest with my son, uh, have his best interest in mind, even if that doesn't mean he's going to play a lot. And, uh, you know, I, I think they see that in him. And, uh, you know, the, these guys love Nebraska just as much as Scott Frost does. They want to make it work. So what better opportunity do they have than to, to go there to grind? And, uh, you know, again, the, the Nebraska walk-on program at its best will produce maybe one or two impact players every cycle. But behind the scenes is really where it drives the machine, where it uh, pushes some of the scholarship guys, educates the players not from the area, um, you know, grinds in practice, produces those those hard reps, things like that. So that's really the, the spirit of the walk-on program. That's where they feel like they're getting. And, uh, you know, Scott Frost has expanded this thing back to what it was in the 90s, and they, they believe that it's going to pay off and the good times are going to start coming back. Well, you can go check out that piece on the Omaha World Herald. Um, and as Grant said, a great piece on the Nebraska walk-on program. We'll transition to baseball here now since that's just a handful of days away for Nebraska and the rest of the Big Ten. And obviously not not much of a season that the Nebraska Cornhuskers and the rest of the country could put together for spring sports, one of which was baseball. Just a couple of stats to go by here is Nebraska was seven and eight in 2020, good enough for a four-six-seven win percentage. They ended on a three-game win streak. Uh, they were five and one when they were the home team, two and six when they were the away team. Some notable wins that they took away from 2020 uh, were at Baylor by a score of 19 to nine. So this team could score a lot of runs. They beat Arizona State, who was ranked 12th in the country in uh, in Tempe, Arizona, 18 to 10. So couple notable wins there for this program. Obviously, the Bolt era is new, it's fresh, and it's, it hasn't really gotten underway yet. I guess you could count those 15 games from last year to say that's the beginning. But this is the real beginning of that Bolt era. So just to kind of start things off, big picture, Evan, how do you think this season's going to go? What kind of ceiling does this team have? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm bullish on this season, honestly. I think Nebraska's... Uh a team that'll finish among the top few teams in the big 10 this year. And you're right, big picture. It's been interesting because, you know, Darren Erstad steps down in the summer of 2019. Will Bolt comes in, they have 15 games last year. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because that team last year had just started to figure a few things out. They had a very difficult non-conference schedule. Like you mentioned, uh, they were, they were coming together a little bit. They didn't have, the pitching in my estimation to really make a postseason run last year. But what the extra time off allowed Will Bolt and his staff to do was to totally remake the roster in ways that they normally wouldn't be able to do in one cycle. I mean, th that thing shut down in mid-March. And so they could immediately hit the transfer portal. They could search junior college uh, prospects, things like that. And ultimately, I think the number is 17 players they brought in and then about the same number decided either to transfer out or move on. And, and that's just natural stuff as, uh, you know, coaches are honest with players about what they're looking for as they build out a roster. So this year's roster more closely uh, emulates what the staff is looking for. And I think one big difference 
with how this staff operates compared to Darren Erstad and his staff is Erstad, uh, as a former major leaguer, was, was all about trying to get players to be well-rounded, do everything decently, whereas Will Bolt uh, really makes it a priority to have guys specialize in what they do, especially uh, offensively. So maybe you're a power guy, and so you're going to focus on that. Maybe you're a set-the-table guy, so you're going to be working on bunting, uh, legging out infield hits, things like of that nature. Sometimes maybe you're a gap-to-gap guy, so you don't need to be swinging for the fences. And then they will stack the lineup in such a way that those pieces will complement. And so I'll be interested to see how that affects some of the returning players. I think guys like I think of guys like Mojo Haggy, who sometimes uh, would be swinging deep. It looks like, but but he's uh, really taken it sounds like to this approach of, of being a table center. So the offense should look different than maybe it has under Nebraska. The pitching was something they were able to really fill out uh, through recruiting and, and the transfer portal in the off season. And uh, again, a 44 game league only schedule. I think Nebraska is as deep offensively as any team in the league and pitching wise, they have a strong starting rotation. And if some of those uh, relievers can, can kind of fulfill the potential that they have, there's no reason to think Nebraska can't contend for another regional bid this year. So I think you, you talked a little bit about Mojo Haggy, of course, Spencer Schwellenbach. Uh, what are some, you know, who are some guys, some big pieces who moved on? Uh, and who are some that are some either new pieces uh, or transfers or whoever who are coming into this team that maybe Husker fans aren't familiar with? Yeah, well, really the biggest loss was Aaron Polinski. He played right field the last couple of years. He was their offensive leader, generally speaking, had really come into his own. He signed as an undrafted free agent, the New York Yankees organization. But really, uh, they didn't lose a lot else in terms of major contributors. Um, And you look at what they brought in, I think they're going to have two freshmen starting on the infield. I think Max Anderson, who uh, was a kid from Omaha, who flipped from Texas A&M late in the last cycle. They really like him at third. Bryce Matthews is a second baseman from Texas who has really impressed the staff from the moment he arrived on campus last fall. And then I think uh, your starting catcher is probably going to be different too this year. They brought in a a junior college kid originally from Lincoln Southwest named Griffin Everett, who uh, they really feel like might be one of the best offensive threats in the lineup this year. and then I think in the outfield, it's going to be uh, kind of uh, familiar faces. They, they bring everybody back. Haggy, Joe Acker, Jackson Hallmark, who played some second base, is going to be out there. But uh, I think in terms of, of offensive threats, it's, it's more on the infield. And then uh, with the rotation, they bring in Chance Roach, who was the bona fide ace at New Mexico State. And you look at kind of the history of pitching at a place like New Mexico State, they're at elevation just a little less than a mile up. And it's, it's really hard to have good numbers there. And he's got a career ERA there, of, I believe under three. So he's, he's just someone who comes in and immediately stabilizes that rotation. Uh, Shea Shanneman's not new to Nebraska, but he's going to be new to the starting role. He was the closer for a time last year and had a, an electric summer um, in college ball, a college summer ball uh, where he really stretched out. And I think it's going to be able to provide them some innings. And then um, they added a couple junior college guys, uh, Cody Frank and Jake Buns from the area who they feel like could be potentially that third, fourth, or fifth starter. And remember with the setup this year, there is uh, no midweek sort of opportunity. So Nebraska is not going to be playing Tuesday or Wednesday. It's just going to be these four game weekends. And so some of these guys who you might normally in a a year see start on a Tuesday evening, uh, these are the guys that are probably going to come in in long relief. Maybe they'll combine and give you two or three innings a piece. So the value of a long reliever this year increases um, and that, that helps those guys. The downside is you don't have the opportunity to develop some younger guys. Typically non-conference and midweeks are when if you're a, a coaching staff, you want to get some younger players out there, see what they can do. How do they handle the pressure of a college game? That's not the case this year with everything counting in the big 10 standings. So they're going to be putting guys out there that they trust uh, and I think we're going to see, you know, right away this weekend in Texas against Purdue, who they feel like their guys can be this year. Now, looking down this Nebraska roster this year, and obviously not all of these guys are freshmen, but a lot of local guys, lots of Omaha, Lincoln, Grand Island, all over the place of the state of Nebraska. How important was it for Will Bolt and his crew 
to have that kind of local contingent on his team. We've seen the same thing with football too. Lots of local talent going there. So how important was it? Ha- is it to have that these these local guys who know how to play the game of baseball really well? Yeah, it's been a priority for them. They, as Will Bolt said when he arrived a year and a half ago, they wanted to set up a fence around the state and build out from there. And you know, it's interesting because. People are, I think, are most familiar, of course, with football recruiting and how Nebraska produces a handful of players every year that are uh, considered to be Power Five prospects. Uh, volleyball recruiting in the state is very good on a per capita basis. It's it's right up there with anywhere in the country. And I think baseball is kind of uh, a sneaky, uh, good sport for this state too. I mean, there is a lot of talent that goes, I think, under evaluated around here, and and. Coach Bolt, to his credit, I mean, when he was at Texas A&M as as an assistant, he was recruiting Nebraska even then. So this isn't just kind of uh, lip service to the area. He really does believe that there's a lot of talent here. Um, You just look to this upcoming class. They have a kid signed, uh, Drew Christo from in-state, who's a top 50 uh, pitching prospect. They went just outside the state to South Dakota and got this uh, outfielder named Chase Mason in the next cycle. So they're, they're very focused on this area. And there are some exceptions, of course. They've gone to Canada a little bit and and, and whatnot. But, um, you know, I think like with anything, if you can, if there's talent in your area, that's where you want to start because so many of these kids grew up going to Nebraska games. They grew up loving the Huskers. And so those are the best kids to come in and give their all for your program. And so, yeah, you can, you can go down the list uh, with guys from the state right now. I haven't done kind of the numbered breakdown on that, but I have to imagine half the roster or probably a little bit more are from this state. And again, these are quality players that have come in and, and some of these guys are going to get professional uh, looks at some point in their careers. And that's the best case for Nebraska. So they, they absolutely uh, are building from the inside out. And I think uh, that's something maybe that was lacking a little bit under the previous staff. They, they would like to, to go to warmer weather locales but uh, yeah, this staff believes in the state. They believe in kind of the power of multi-sport athletes, which Nebraska is more known for. Colder weather states are more known for than maybe your Southern prospects that play one sport and focus on that year round. So uh, you, you can kind of see it coming together. And I think the recipe for success is is pretty good right now. So, you know, there's been a lot made of the conference only schedule. How many other, are there any other conferences that are purely conference only? And for Nebraska specifically, when it comes to the postseason, what, how hard is it? How hard does a conference-only schedule make getting into a, a decent position for the postseason? Right. Well, by my estimation, there's only one other conference that's going conference-only. It's a small conference in the Northeast. Uh, the Metro Atlantic, I think, is what it's called. Uh, but it, certainly among your major RPI sort of college baseball conferences, the Big Ten stands alone. And, you know, we're recording this on a Monday and college baseball is two weeks old. The season is two weeks old. Nebraska and the Big Ten are one of the last, I believe, four conferences to play. And that counts the Ivy League, which I don't think is having spring sports at all this year. So uh, it, it doesn't set you up well. And I think when it comes to Nebraska and other Big Ten teams, given this league only schedule, what it does is it way slims down your margin for error Um, in a typical year. You look at what Nebraska has done the last five years or so they've made a regional three times. I think the number is, and every time it's been as an at large qualifier. And typically you can do that if you finish in the top 40 or so in the RPI and there are just under 300 college baseball teams out there. And so Nebraska, its strategy has been to have a very difficult non-conference schedule and then it can, if it does even decently in that, then it can kind of ride through the Big Ten uh, and, and have a, a decent enough resume for the postseason. Even last year, as, as Connor mentioned, you know Nebraska gets one win on the road out of three against Baylor, one win at Arizona State out of three. Those two wins, even though they lost the series, are actually more valuable for their RPI than if they were to play a home series and sweep Northern Colorado or whoever it might be. So it's not going to have that this year. It's going it, to. It, it needs to just win games. It can't afford to lose a series to Northwestern or Michigan State or some of these teams projected to finish toward the bottom of the standings. It needs to win series and there aren't going to be a lot of weekends when Nebraska can can afford to lose those. Maybe in Indiana, maybe in Michigan, but 
you're, you're losing out on your uh, resume building opportunity on the front end. And then without a big 10 tournament, you don't have that automatic bid on the back end where you can even count on catching a hot streak. So it's all about the regular season. Um, it's all about just, just winning the games. I, again, you look at two years ago in 2019, the big 10 had five NCAA qualifiers Four of those were at large. And most of those teams were right on the fringe heading into the postseason. I think they had like 15 and nine conference records and on their face, those aren't that impressive. But when you look at what they did before the league season, that's when the selection committee could say, okay, these are some quality teams. And so if you don't have that this year, I think it's safe to say the big Ten's not getting five teams in this year. Uh, my number would be probably closer to two. And so again, you, you just need to win the series. Um, you lose a bad, you lose a series to a bad team this year. It's going to sting a little more than it normally would. Who are the really big powers this year in the big 10 that Nebraska is going to have to compete against? Well, I'm going to have a, a rankings piece out here later today, actually, but I, I think Indiana personally is the favorite. They're deep offensively. Uh, they have a deep staff. They didn't lose much last year uh with the shortened major league baseball draft uh, to me they're they're a team that's consistently in the postseason and that they're probably the one to beat um michigan would be the other one that some people would probably throw out there as the favorite they of course were in the college world series final two years ago um you know that team if you remember needed to win two games at least in the big 10 tournament just to make the postseason they did that and they wrote a really strong starting rotation, all of which has moved on since then. So to, they, they certainly have some talent. I think this is the year for those guys where they have to prove, are they a national program with some uh, ability to sustain that success? Or was that just a cool story for a couple of years? So I think we'll find out, but they're certainly going to be toward the top. Uh, I think some of your other teams on the high end will be familiar faces too. You know, Iowa brings back a lot. Minnesota has been consistently one of the best teams in the league over the last five, six, seven years or so. And, uh, you know, again, I put Nebraska up there as well as a team who's maybe offensively as dangerous as anybody with a few question marks in terms of its pitching depth. But uh, yeah, I, I think it, it'll be a fun season. Um, you know, it's, it's a good year to have these four game weekends because everybody's going to be deeper with your arms than you typically would, because a lot of these guys were either seniors who decided to come back or they were guys who would have been drafted in a normal year, but because it was shortened so significantly, uh, they decided to return. So uh, a lot of, lot, lot of uh, kind of things to parse through. And I think when you evaluate Nebraska or any team this year in college baseball, you have to remember that everybody's deeper for those very reasons. And so relatively speaking, where, where do you gain an edge uh, if you're Nebraska or whoever else? Um, it, it should be fun. I, I think you're, you're maybe not going to have as many games this year where teams run out of pitching and it gets ugly and you walk 15 guys. I think you're going to see some really high-quality baseball throughout the sport this year. And last thing here, you mentioned how the, the, the league-only schedule is not really going to help any of these Big Ten teams because they're going to miss out on those quality non-conference opponents. But – would say, for example, obviously the SEC is a very good Power 5 baseball conference. If a conference like that, all the teams in that conference like beat up on each other, would that in the long run maybe help the Big Ten because those teams would have more losses than maybe they normally would in a normal season? Well, you know, those teams will still have the benefit of non-conference games to fall back on. I mean, you look at these last two weeks – uh, I think it was the opening weekend series at the home of the Texas Rangers down in, in Texas. The SEC dominated some pretty good Big 12 schools down there. So even if you're a team like, say, Texas A&M and you're a league average in the SEC, they can still point to some pretty strong victories that you would have had earlier in the season. Um, that's just an example. But the, the first couple of weeks, the SEC has done really well. Uh, and, and they're going to have strong RPIs to back that up. That will be a tool that pretty much every major RPI league is going to have uh, is to point to some wins that they had over quality opponents. The Big Ten just doesn't have that. So you're left with win-loss. You're left with the eye test, assuming the NCAA uh, selection committee members even watch a lot of your games. Uh, and and that's, that's pretty much it. Like you just don't have a lot of margin for error. And I think 
you know, again, it's, it's a shame because the Big Ten really was coming on as a emerging college baseball power. I mean, they were on par the last handful of seasons with the Big 12 and with the Pac-12 in terms of the number of postseason qualifiers they put out. Really, the SEC and the ACC are the ones that are kind of head and shoulders above everybody else. And so it's, it's unfortunate that this is the year that's almost certainly going to take a step back. And, you know, of course, we could get into the other conversations about why would the Big Ten allow uh, non-conference games for, college, for men's basketball, but not for baseball and, and things like that. The league has not looked good this year, starting with the football decision last fall and how they uh, changed course a couple of times on that. But um, it, it's an unfortunate deal. I, I think ultimately, though, if you're Nebraska or any team in the Big Ten, their message to the players has been all their goals are still in front of them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lousy draw, but if you take care of business on the field, you can still make the postseason and all your all your possibilities are still out there. You can still host a regional and do all these different things. So after more than a year of, of sitting on the sidelines, now these players finally get a chance to uh, kind of write their own story. All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Evan. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Evan Bland, O-W-H, on the Omaha World Herald. He'll be covering Nebraska baseball all season long. So once again, thanks so much for joining us, Evan, and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Sounds great, guys. Thanks for having me. Our last topic of the day, we'll hop into bracketology as it is officially March, the most wonderful time of the year. It's the best month. Oh, man. It all gets worse from here. So. <laughs> chaos, absolute chaos. We'll we'll ignore we'll ignore March 11th again, um, and we'll we'll just talk about college basketball. So, going back to our previous conversation, I know we got into a little bit of bracketology talk before the Evan Bland interview, but we were talking about Minnesota, how they virtually played themselves out of the the tournament this year with the Northwestern and Nebraska back to back losses. Joe Lenardi has them on the first team out on the bubble, so they're still. In contention, which I find surprising. I don't know about you. No, but that's still that's that still is updated on the twenty sixth. Okay, we're now so on the first. Not, so okay, so that Nebraska loss has not been taken into account yet. I'm sure that will. I, be okay, here I'm because that seemed that seemed off. Right. I feel like it would have been updated because that's when the AP poll gets updated every Monday. But um, so ignore me, Minnesota. Not the first team out anymore. Probably, Probably. not in the next four out. Um, Duke. As of February 26th, next four out, um, and we'll, we'll just kind of go down the bubble here. So last four buys belong to Louisville, VCU, Boise State, Seton Hall. The last four in, Indiana, UConn, Xavier, Colorado State. First four out, obviously not totally updated. Minnesota, Stanford, Richmond, and Michigan State. And then the next four out, Duke, Georgia Tech, Ole Miss, and Utah State. So Duke's still fighting to get in there, and I know we talked about this last week, but I wouldn't be surprised if Duke wins that that auto bid for for the ACC. I, I mean. know, I know, and, and that's the scariest thing for me. Same, I think to a certain extent it's true of Kentucky too, right? I mean, right. you you have these traditional powers that we're so used to being a part of the tournament. It's hard to imagine the tournament without them. And so you, I mean, they've got a lot of talent. They've got a really great head coach, both Kentucky and and Duke, obviously with Coach K and uh, Coach Calipari. Uh, but it, it's going to be. It's going to be close, but they've got the things to do it, right? You just got to figure out the chemistry and hit some shots. And so they haven't done that yet, uh, but you never know. And Duke certainly is playing a little bit hotter uh, than, than Kentucky. And a chance, and it's it's out there. It's there for the taking. And I think that's probably one of my favorite parts about the auto bids is every team in every conference has a chance to control its own destiny. Yeah, I mean – Nebraska come out and win the Big Ten, <laughs> right? I mean, if if you want to be that optimistic well, and, of a fan, and you look at other things, other shifts in the Big Ten this week that still haven't been taken into account here. Ohio State still a one in Region Four; they'll probably drop to a two or a three. You'll see Illinois, I think, climb up uh, and probably take that Ohio State spot, or or you could potentially see an Alabama climb up to a one. But I, I would I would probably see Illinois do that first. They also have a big showdown with Michigan tomorrow night and and that's going to be a play a really big role in who who takes that spot here and of course this is all just projections right well so, i did i did see the alert from joe lenardi yesterday that illinois he says illinois will take that one spot from right. ohio state so they'll flip-flop there and then you could see iowa climb a little bit as well yes. with their huge win they had this last weekend so and, and that's the hard thing too right like iowa at one point was in a position where you thought that they can be a really dangerous 
five or a four that could that could shock some teams and bust some brackets and now they're climbing back up to where we kind of thought they would be at the beginning of the year well they're if they start winning games now, I mean this this period between now and and championship week is the most dangerous time for a team to start winning games. And you look at a team, I'll point out Michigan State here with those two quality wins over Ohio State and Illinois this past week. They did lose to Maryland, which was a, a, a definitely a blemish to their resume when it comes to March. But those two wins are going to help them go real far. And obviously, we we've talked about this last week too. With Duke and Michigan State, these traditional blue bloods now being on on the bubble, and you take Kentucky into account too, sometimes coaching can get you over the hump there. I mean, you have Coach K, you have Tom Izzo, you have Calipari. I mean, three legendary coaches in college basketball with all these teams struggling, but they've been there. Like, they've, they've been there before, and you've seen teams do that before. I mean, Syracuse was pointed out last week when they were a 10 seed. They made it all the way to the Final Four. Jim Beheim's a great coach. So you could see team a Tom Izzo team. You could see a Mike Krzyzewski team do that. You could see a John Calipari team do that. So, well, I mean, huge d- games. Yeah. Huge games this week. And, and you think about, here's another one right here. You get a rematch of Oklahoma-Oklahoma State. Of course, by the oh time my. you're probably listening to this game, oh this my. game will be over. That's tonight, March the 1st. The first matchup. So that's Are you huge. kidding me? Huge, right? Then you go into tomorrow night. You have Baylor-West Virginia, 4 o'clock ESPN. Then you move down to Illinois-Michigan that night. Auburn-Alabama. That game probably going to be an Alabama win, but it's still really entertaining. And then Wisconsin-Purdue, that game could have some serious implications, not only for the Big Ten tournament, but for the final as well. Creighton-Villanova, you get that Wednesday night, so that one's fantastic. Thursday, you see Oklahoma State and Baylor. That's another big game. And then Texas-Oklahoma, you get another rematch there. So huge games every night this week. Uh, right up until Saturday when you get Oklahoma State, West Virginia, that's a great game, and uh, in Illinois, Ohio State, right before we go into tournament week next week. So, I mean, this this week is stacked with college basketball games, and there's still a lot of huge shifts that are going to happen within this bracket. I'd like to apologize to all my professors. Uh, I will be planting myself on the couch for the next week while watching all these games. Uh, probably not going to get too much schoolwork done with all of that going on because, I mean, Come on. It's fantastic stuff. It's great it's, stuff. it's not even champ week, and we're already, we're already like doing it. this. It feels it March is the best time of the year. It, there's hope. Hope again. It's you know, great. Just, we'll point out the Big Ten teams here that, as of February 26th, were either on the bubble or in the bracket. Obviously, we pointed out Indiana, Minnesota, Michigan State, all on the bubble. Obviously, Illinois, Ohio State, Michigan, and Iowa all within the top two seeds. Purdue is a sixth seed. Um, just kind of going around here as well, looking for more Big Ten teams. We've mentioned Michigan. We've mentioned Illinois. Wisconsin is a five seed. They may drop with I the loss to Illinois. I think they'll probably drop. Um, they're 16-9 and nine now. Maryland up to a nine seed, and that was before their 15th one of the year, I believe. Right. Um, so they're 15 and 10 now. Rutgers an eight seed. They got a big game against Nebraska tonight. They lose to Nebraska. That's going to be a huge loss for them. They're nine and nine of the Big Ten. 13 and nine overall. So they got to win out here. Uh, they they played Indiana very well though the other night. I believe it was last Wednesday, February 24th. Um, they swept them. Iowa's a three seed, but obviously not updated since last Friday. They'll probably move up to that two seed, and then I. The obviously the Big Ten tournament is the one that I'm most looking forward to out of the most out of all of the conference tournaments. But the Big Twelve tournament, that's going to be a fun one. Yeah, that one's going to be really great. There's a lot of great teams in there: West Virginia, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, Texas. All the all four of those teams all have a really decent shot at it. And then you see, of course, uh, the ACC just hasn't been quite as good this year. The Big East, same kind of thing, right? Like Creighton has been hot and cold. Villanova has been equally hot and cold. And so there's no there's no real titan coming out of there, at least as what far as what we've seen so far. Uh, of course, any of those teams is prone to make a huge tournament run at any point. But, it, yeah, you're right. The Big 12 tournament and the Big 10 tournament next week are going to be just must-see. You, you, you just got to be there. I, I, I agree. I agree with you. How, how am I going to get any schoolwork done next week? <laughs> I mean, no idea. It's a, again, it's, it's, it's not even champ week. And we're already talking about how crazy this is going to be. Obviously, tonight, as Grant mentioned, 
Number 16, Oklahoma at number 17, Oklahoma State. That is the big one tonight. Oklahoma State coming off of that big-time overtime win against Oklahoma. Cade Cunningham had 40 in that game. Um, so a good game there tonight. Fast-forwarding to Tuesday, March 2nd, just number 6, West Virginia. Number 3, Baylor. Obviously, Illinois, Michigan. Illinois moved up to 4 in the AP poll. Michigan overtaking that 2 spot with the Baylor loss um, to Kansas. That was a... Colossal win for Kansas this past weekend. They're, they're starting to find their groove as well. Wisconsin somehow sneaking into the top 25 still. They're, they're not going away. They're here to stay. The 16-9 Badgers playing the number 23rd ranked Purdue Boilermakers um, also on Tuesday. And then obviously, as Grant said, the rest of the week is absolutely nuts. So if you're a college basketball fan, buckle up. It's about to get real fun here. And that will do it for us on episode 33 of Husker Sports Weekly. We talked baseball, we talked men's basketball, we talked bracketology, we talked with Evan Bland, a great episode overall. So thanks so much for tuning in. Obviously, you can find us on Spotify, Anchor.fm, just search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar. Follow us on, at Twitter, uh, on Cornhusker Media. Um, you can find us at Cornhusker Media on Twitter. Follow myself and Grant. Grant is Hanson15 underscore Hanson. Myself, Z underscore Clark underscore 27. Go follow Evan Bland on Twitter at Evan Bland OWH. So once again, thanks so much for tuning in on episode 33 of Husker Sports Weekly. We will see you next week. Go Big Rush. Rush.